Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. The scripture reading today is from Psalm 139 to um, thirteen sixteen, For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I know that very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes beheld my unformed substance. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Annalise. All right, well, welcome again, everybody. Welcome to those of you who have been in the conversation the last three weeks. Welcome to those of you who clearly are skipping your church today to come eavesdrop on our conversation. We welcome you as well. Uh, and, um, and especially my special thanks and gratitude to the listening committee. Uh, these men and women are really, really uh, committed to the process of listening to our community and really hearing what they have to say uh, objectively, and I just, I can't thank you enough for that. Uh, so let's, let's start today. The topic for today, part three of this series, is healthy sexuality. So uh, I'm going to start it off with a, just a quick uh, good or bad. Just shout it out. I'm going to shout out certain words or phrases. You say good or bad based on what you think, okay? Uh, first one, the Rocky Mountains. Whoa, my son said bad. We were just there. Okay. Um, That's just going to be a big conversation later on, I guess. Politics. I heard some groans in there. Puppies. We just got a puppy. Okay. Uh, Twitter. Very mixed, depending on who you follow and who you block. Okay, summer. The new Disney Channel. Wow, I heard some bads. Again from my sons. Okay, a lot to talk about. Thin. Uh Uh-huh. Thin. Let's go to the next one. Your body. Some absentee balloting on that one maybe is necessary. So I'd like to start this conversation about healthy sexuality in the way that you knew I would, in the way that's obvious, by explaining an ancient Christian heresy called Gnosticism. Yeah? It's exactly where you knew I would go. So Gnosticism 
uh, is a dualistic framework. Dualism means it's either or. Uh, that the spiritual realm is one realm that exists that is totally good and totally separate from the created realm. All matter, humanity, bodies, creation, Rocky Mountains even, and that is evil. So in this framework, the supreme God had no dealings with the world of matter, bodies, and never does. But matter was created uh, by an inferior deity who kept humankind imprisoned within their own material existence. And only those who possessed secret or special knowledge, gnosis, was where they got the word Gnosticism, escaped the prison of matter and joined the supreme being in the afterlife. So according to this, and really for the first five centuries, the church debated this issue, especially as it related to the, to the nature of Jesus. Was he fully human and fully divine? Gnostics would say that's impossible because there could never be a coming together of the spiritual and matter. That, that is antithetical to all logic and all reason. So there was debates for 500 years churches gathered with listening committees and said, we have to define this issue of whether or not Jesus only appeared to be human or whether or not he actually was human and why that matters. And so for five centuries, it raged. Uh, and so this is an all-play question, and I, I grant that it's a bit graduate level, uh, but how do you see Gnosticism, dualism at work, when it comes to how we see our bodies. Culturally, we're shamed. Thanks, Nate. I agree. We tend to separate the mental and physical. Is that Micah? Thanks, Micah. I thought I recognized your voice back there. And thank you for ducking out so I could see you. Thank you. I wish I was a little taller, to be honest, for a lot of reasons, but preaching would be one. Um, see, body shame. Oh my gosh, there it was right there, and I didn't even, I didn't even mean to. I just, that's just a get. Oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, what else? Okay, Jenny. I'm grateful to be alive, and I'm looking forward to a new body in the life that is to come. Thanks, Greg. We really separate the spiritual and physical, that one is good and sometimes unattainable, and one is bad and just to be sort of discarded, thrown away. What else? Okay, Nick, there's a lot of practical implications according to how you see both physical, spiritual, um, our bodies. And it's really fascinating um, when you think about the way in which especially, and this is talked about a lot but not talked about nearly enough, advertising has shaped the way in which we see perfection, what we go for, uh, and that it's so insidious that it's just in the air that we breathe. And uh, I, I'm 49 next week. Uh -huh. My birthday is November 8th, so uh, you can send gifts right to the address listed. Um, Kidding. Come on, you guys, kidding. Um, but I was a youth pastor for many years in the era of purity culture, right? And what purity culture was, was youth pastors and church leaders really 
they tried to tell their teenagers, hey, sex before marriage is terrible, and they would do things like they would take a, a mug and they would pass it all around the youth group and they would say, everyone spit into the mug. You know, and spit into everyone, you know, and you can imagine how, how graphic that gets. And then at the end, they would say things like, now, would you, you know, volunteer, would anyone like to drink this cup? And of course, no, nah, that's so gross. And then they would say things like, this is what it's like if you have sex before you get married. This is how someone will see you. And of course, you know, it's like saying, you know, uh, to a five-year-old, you're going to go to hell unless you pray this certain prayer. What's going to happen? I mean, they're, they're going to pray that prayer, even if it's to that flag out there or that stained glass window. And so, whether it's well-meaning or not, um, what happened now, 20 years later, these adults that went through purity culture, what we're finding is there's just an incredible amount of shame. Because even if the motivation was good, what happened was uh, people had a really hard time climbing out of this idea that sex is bad, 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 terrible, 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 until you get married and then it's great, 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 perfect, awesome, awesome, let's go, all right, all the time. Uh, something in between <laughs> that message and the reality of trying to live out a healthy sexuality, either before you get married, after you get married, or if you never get married, gets totally covered in shame. And it's hard to, and if you talk to any therapist, or any pastor or any person that lived through that, you will see that even if it was well intended, the message, the dualistic message, uh, turned into something that required a whole lot of digging out of to find healthy sexuality once again. Can I get an amen? So... Uh, Caitlin Beatty, she, I actually just met her um, a couple weeks ago. She is an author, and she also wrote a New York Times article that essentially asked the question. Uh, she grew up in the purity culture, and she's asking the question, can we rediscover some middle ground that isn't shame culture on the one end, but also not that isn't sex is no big deal on the other end? Ah, whatever. Just, it doesn't even matter. She's looking for an ethic around healthy sexuality. It's a really, it, the article, you can look it up on Google, uh, Caitlin Beatty. And she's asking a lot of questions and she's not giving many answers. Um, so when we talk about a robust vision for healthy sexuality, I think we, we have to confront Gnosticism in the way in which we see it today. So uh, Irenaeus, late second century theologian, fought for the reality that Jesus the Christ was fully human and fully divine, but not because it was just an important theoretical idea, but he understood that it, the vision that that incarnation represented of human and divine was a confrontation to the cultural expectation that humanity and divinity were forever separated. What he saw... I mean, all those years ago, was that if we don't have a picture of spirituality and material essence, of body 
and spirit coming together of God and humanity, then we'll always be in this dualistic framework that anything about our bodies is bad and anything about God is good and never the twain shall meet. So Irenaeus is the person who said, for the glory of God is the human person fully alive. You've heard that quote, right? Many times. It's on many bumper stickers. Do they style bumper stickers? Um, and, and then he wrote, and life consists in beholding God. Now, when he said the human person is fully alive, we typically interpret that, and it's not wrong. It's just not really what he meant as, you know, the glory of God is someone that's really living, like, right, passionate, free, yes. And that's not, that's not untrue. That's just not what he was trying to say. What he was trying to say was this, is that life consists in beholding God, okay, and what he was saying is the only way we can behold God as humans is through the gritty reality of our humanity. Does that make sense? Even our sexuality. That if we can't view God through those things, we can't view God at all. And Irenaeus would argue that that is the beauty of the incarnation. That is the beauty of Christ. The bringing together of matter and spirit in a way that was utterly radical. And of course we tried to take that back apart. You know what I mean? Of course we did. Why wouldn't we? That's really scary and threatening to bring those two things together. They play much nicer when they're in separate rooms, don't they? Except for when you have to actually deal with actual life. So healthy sexuality is rooted in a holistic Christ-centered understanding that sexuality and spirituality were always meant to be united and they were never meant to be divided. I'm going to say that again. Healthy sexuality is rooted in a holistic, Christ-centered understanding that sexuality and spirituality were always meant to be united and they were never meant to be divided. So all play question. What, when it comes to sexuality, what has been divided? Pleasure. Thanks, Becky. Like there had to be a book written that was called Intended for Pleasure. Remember that one? Good book. And desire also. Desire, pleasure. What else? Oh, yeah, Cassandra. So sexuality and sex and pictures and has been used to sell things and tap into a different consumeristic desire that has nothing to do with the coming together of bodies. What else? Okay, Mike. Self-control or lack thereof. Yeah. The, dominating one to another. Yep, got it. What else? Lige. Sorry, Deb. Lige, can you, can you please not throw those, those paper airplanes right now? Thank you. It's all good. How are you, Deb? Okay. Yeah. 
There's, so I, I, I would say it this way, Deb, you said it better just to concisely. Like, there's all these categories of what can make you good in terms of sexuality or bad in terms of sexuality. And those categories vary depending on who, what person you talk to, what church you go to, whether you're gay, straight, promiscuous, not promiscuous, married, not married, single. Yeah. And that cat, right, that category defines your spiritual status, which is exactly what Gnosticism would, would say. What needs to be united? I think you're about to. Okay, Becky said, does it need to be united or remembered? I like the word remember, remembering, you know? Yeah. It was, if it was created by God as good, then can we remember our deepest and truest identity? Thanks, Becky. So... So Nate's saying, look at children, small children. They don't exist in body shame. They just, they just exist. Yeah. Thanks, Jane. We focus so much on the acts instead of the relationship. So we need to reunite um, the relational aspect. So I want to thank you so much. Uh, I want to say we start from different places in our understanding and comfort with the topic of sexuality. Amen? <laughs> but you made it. You came. I honestly thought no one would come today. Um, depending on our upbringing, our own histories, any trauma or, ab or abuse we've experienced, and how the subject has been engaged with in our churches. Because the reality is the Bible contains both celebrations and condemnations of sexual behavior. Within the Bible, you'll find polygamy. In fact, a couple weeks ago during the first scripture reading, it was funny, someone, someone said this to me later. I didn't even notice it, but uh, it, it was a story about Jacob. And just the throwaway line was, and Jacob took his two wives and went across the river. And like everyone just, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no one even thought about it. But it's like, <laughs> carry the one. I mean, What? You know, so that's there, and that's just normal uh, in that time. Uh, polygamy is condoned in the Hebrew Scriptures. The subjugation of women is seemingly affirmed, even in the, in the New Testament. You know, so I don't know if Facebook still has that status, relational status. It's complicated. <laughs> but, but that's what you could say about what the Bible even says about sexuality, according to time. So the framing questions for us today and moving forward are these. How can we honor our own sexuality? How can we stop sexual abuse and exploitation of the vulnerable? Amen. How will we learn to respond with grace and curiosity when we encounter someone else's sexuality in a way that's beyond our own experience? How will we seek to understand the role that shame plays in our sexuality? There's many other framing questions. So if healthy sexuality is rooted in a holistic, incarnational understanding, 
that sexuality and spirituality were always meant to be united and never meant to be divided, then I like the psalm that Annalise read. For it was you, God, who formed my inward parts. And I know these verses can be both beautiful for some and incredibly hard for some. So I want to acknowledge that big time. For it was you, God, who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I know that very well, except for we don't. The psalmist did, apparently, or else wanted to. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. And that last sentence is what I want us to hold on to. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. There was something in the mysterious world of creation and how you were made before it was formed, before it it had matter. God saw you. And there was you. And that's powerful. That's powerful. So I'm going to share five affirmations. Healthy, holistic sexuality is rooted in at least five affirmations. I say at least because certainly you could add to this list. Okay. Number one, healthy sexuality affirms that every single thing that God created and continues to create is good. Healthy sexuality affirms that every single thing that God created and continues to create is good. Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that God had made, and indeed it was very good. So if that's true, then therefore, and um, if you want to write these down, you can, but on the way out, uh, there's some copies that, you can, that you'll be able to pick up of these five with everything I'm saying here. Therefore, we'll learn to celebrate the goodness of our shared humanity. This is hard to do, amen, in the world of dualism and the world that says things are good or bad on my side or your side, the right side, the wrong side, enemies and friends, and it's really, really hard to affirm. Now, we're not saying every single thing that happens is good or every choice that is made by people are good. What we are saying is every single thing that God has created and continues to create is good. Therefore, we'll learn to celebrate the goodness of our shared humanity. And then number two, healthy sexuality affirms the uniqueness of each person's sexuality, including gender identity, orientation, desire, sensuality, and capacity. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb, Psalm 139, 13. Therefore, we will learn to embrace the uniqueness of our own sexuality and will demonstrate grace and curiosity when we encounter someone whose sexuality goes beyond our experience or understanding. One all-play question, how would you, in real life, demonstrate grace and curiosity when you encounter someone sexuality goes beyond your experience or understanding. Ask questions. Thanks, Brian. Listen to the answer. Thanks, Greg. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on. Greg's on the listening committee. But that's so deep, though, Greg. 
right? It's so deep. I mean, because you can ask a question and then formulate the response in your mind and not even hear the answer. So thank you, Greg. Gosh, that's so, you know, the simplest things are the deepest. Will you listen to the answer? Don't judge. Thanks, George. Use it as another opportunity, Cassandra says, to see another side of the gem. That's from a couple weeks ago when the Bible's a 70-sided gem, and you have to keep turning it to get the full picture. Number three, healthy sexuality affirms the universal responsibility to stop sexual abuse and exploitation of the vulnerable. Luke 17, 2, is Jesus' words. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause any of these little ones to stumble. Little ones meaning the vulnerable. Therefore, we'll refuse to participate in sexual activity that is exploitative and abusive. We'll actively work to bring justice to those who are being exploited and abused. That's why the work of Organizations like International Justice Mission and Preemptive Love and others is so important. And I encourage you to get involved in those organizations as, you're, as you feel led to. Uh, International Justice Mission brings the best of lawyers and the best of um, sort of investigative journalism to root out um, areas where people are being exploited and held as sex slaves and others and brings justice. Uh, it's good work. Number four, healthy sexuality affirms the fundamental necessity of mutual consent between sexual partners, even within marriage. Healthy sexuality affirms the fundamental necessity of mutual consent between sexual partners, even within marriage. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians 5.21. Therefore, we'll refuse to participate in any kind of sexual activity with another person without explicit conscious consent. That shouldn't have to be said, but it needs to be said. Number five, for those who are married, healthy sexuality affirms the unique commitment to faithfulness and exclusivity between two people. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, Ephesians 5.21. Therefore, we'll seek repentance and pursue forgiveness when this commitment is broken, seeking restoration for all. Now, that's a tough one. But we can do hard things. And we will break commitments. And when we do, when we do, there can be repentance and forgiveness. And that may take a long time. Let's say that out loud. For it was you who formed me in my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I know that very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. Now, you guys, this particular talk of all three weeks was the one that I had the most anxiety about because there's so many things we can talk about and maybe should talk about, and we just 
don't have the time or even, it's too big of a room to try to touch everything. So you may even right now be thinking like, wait a minute, that's it? No, it's not it. That's certainly not it. This is a conversation starter. And the hope is even these five affirmations are ways that we can start to move toward a sexuality that's healthy and robust and that can hold our questions and hold some of the tensions that we feel in all of these areas. So I want to encourage you. I'm going to list here are four questions that you might pick one or make up your own question uh, to take it further. So ask yourself, what, if anything, resonated deep within you? During these last 25 minutes. What, if anything, resonated deep within you? Maybe write that down. And then explore that with someone or with God, by yourself, journal about it, talk to someone about it. But also, what, if anything, triggered you? That's hard, but it's like, in my experience, the things that, that shimmer, like you love it, and the things that make you angry and trigger you, those are the two things you need to pay attention to as far as like, where is God doing work inside my soul. A third question, what questions are you currently holding right now about the LGBTQ conversation we're having, about healthy sexuality? And don't try to solve those real quick, you guys. What questions are you holding? And what do you need to hold them well? A fourth question, where is God meeting you in all of this? Let's not lose that. Where is God meeting you in all of this, in this conversation? I agree with Deb. The process is so much more important than the outcome. Outcome is important. How we do it, how we love one another in the midst of our listening and asking, how we hold on to that. Those are the defining factors in terms of what shapes a community. Amen? No matter what the outcome is, those are the defining factors. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions, questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.